Hi, Stephanie. Could you introduce yourself and where you work and how many years you've been in this profession? Hi, my name is Stephanie Cordeaux. I am the Sleep Medicine Fellowship Program Coordinator at the University of Pennsylvania. I've been working around in and around GME for about a little over eight years now, but did not become a program coordinator until about four and a half years ago. I do have experience in both the community and university setting, both in residency and fellowship programs. Stephanie, you've been real involved in in the Alliance and the programs there. Can you talk a little bit about what that's done for you and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that my involvement with the Alliance has been huge in my professional development. Um, In fact, probably half of my resume is due to the Alliance. So I was introduced, I actually went to my first AIM week after I had been a coordinator for only four days. And I got to meet some amazing people there who I am still friends with today. Lots of networking happens at those events. And I ended up joining the PA Program Planning Committee, which I've been a part of for a few years, vice chair for about two years. And it has allowed me opportunity definitely to network, to meet new people from all over the country in different types of programs, and also has allowed me the opportunity to share my knowledge and present both virtually during the COVID pandemic and then also in person at some of these events. So definitely a huge proponent of any new coordinator to be a part of Aptum and join AIM. It's a, it's a great opportunity. Great. So you're at, you're really at that stage where you're giving back. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of of finding a mentor when you're new at the job? Absolutely. So my main mentor actually was my GME director. I was in a community hospital setting, so the GME office was quite small, and I was actually a main part of the GME onboarding process, which is not typically the case maybe in a university setting. But she was an amazing mentor. We're still friends to this day. Just to have somebody who can understand what you're going through, who knows what the requirements are, who knows what's coming down the line, who understands uh, the timeline of it all, who understands all of the stakeholders, and somebody who you can kind of reach out to when you feel like you have a big question or maybe just a silly question. And outside of my institution, as I had mentioned, I met a lot of people at my first AIM conference, my first AIM week, which was in San Antonio. And I sat at a table and those ladies are still my mentors today. We reach out to each other every once in a while and just say, Hey, have you heard about this requirement change? Or are you uh, working on anything new? Or what do you do for wellness for your, for your trainees? And I'm a very social person. So having those people in my corner is just so important to me. I sought those people out. And we're just, I can't overestimate the value that having somebody in your corner really provides. And ultimately, some of them become friends. So that's that's really neat. So we're trying to formalize mentoring. Do you plan on listing yourself as a mentor in the, the, um, the AIM mentoring program? Absolutely. I am currently listed as a mentor. I just recently updated my profile to include my current role. And I think that will hopefully expand the mentees who are interested in working with me. And anybody is welcome to reach out. I'm happy to communicate with anybody who is interested in my mentorship at any level, whether you just need somebody to check in with you know, once a year or somebody to text you every day. I'm happy to help.
you know, I think people just starting out in a profession don't realize how much the the veterans want to help uh, and give back. So in terms of advice, what do you wish somebody would have told you when you first started? I came into the GME world as an administrative assistant, which uh, is not a role that's really defined by GME at all. It's just on an institutional basis, just you know, other duties as assigned kind of job. And I did not realize the amount of work that I was doing in that role that was contributing to the program itself, to ACGME accredited programs. I didn't realize that those skills that I was learning would have gotten me to the point where I am now and can take me further. So I think I what I wish I would have known was the amount of opportunity that there is in the GME world. Now that I'm in a university setting, I'm discovering, I mean, University of Pennsylvania has a graduate program for graduate medical education. I mean, it's huge. So I think I wish I would have understood how a title such as administrative assistant or administrative coordinator or coordinator can really open up so many opportunities down the line. You mentioned ACGME. The the website and the guidelines can be overwhelming. What was your approach to, you know, using ACGME's resources and also, you know, putting your fingers on answers when you needed them? Yeah, so the ACGME requirements are, you know, our rule book. It's our a coordinator's role to understand all of those guidelines and, you know, keep an eye on them and Ultimately, it's the program director's responsibility, but the program directors rely on us sometimes to make sure that we're reading thoroughly. So I actually printed them out and I had a highlighter and I went through and I would highlight in certain colors. So one would be things that I think we're doing really well. And some were things that I think we could improve on. And some were things that I didn't understand whether or not we had. Maybe I didn't know where the lactation room was, for example. That's a requirement, but I did not personally know where that was. So I highlighted that and I found my resource and I found out where it was so that when my trainees asked me about it, I could answer that question. You don't need to know the answer to every question, but you should know how to find that answer. So it's really about how to find the answer within your resources. Who do you go to? Where can you find that? Which organization or which stakeholder governs this question? So very important. Great, great. Let's move to one of the topics for the the panel the first week, and that's collaborating with your program director, communicating with your program director. What do you think is important for a new administrator to understand when it comes to the program director? Great. So I actually just started with a new program director after working with the same program director for years. And my new program director and I had to develop an understanding of how we can communicate. So I think the number one thing is understanding when your program director has protected time, when it is appropriate to reach out to your program director. So for example, if your program director has clinic on certain days or is rounding at certain times, it's probably not a great time to reach out to them. As a new administrator, you might not have a total understanding of what the clinical responsibilities of your program director are. Maybe they're operating certain days depending on what your specialty is. So I would definitely say establish when is the best time to reach out to your program director. Program directors 
have, you know, different styles when it comes to communicating. And so my question for you is, how do you find out what they like best, you know, whether they want to do a one-on-one, you know, an hour a week, or whether they just want you to send them a, you know, chat or whether they want you to put in an email, that kind of thing. How do you discover that? Yeah. So I would say that you just need to be the person to reach out to them and just have that open conversation. I think if you say, Hey, I am happy to do whatever you need me to do. I really want to keep the lines of communication open. What are the best times for you? And when are good times per week when we can really have deep discussion on, you know, changes for the program or struggling trainees or things that really require a lot more energy versus, Hey, do you mind if I work from home today? Maybe that could be a text or hey, uh, so-and-so is having this issue. I handled it very minor, just letting you know, versus time where you really need to do deep work. I would say that you as a professional can reach out to your program director and have that conversation. I think most program directors will be very open to letting you know how they want to communicate with you. Is your view that program directors understand what an administrator does for the program? I have been very fortunate to work with program directors who do. Can you just talk about some of the resources out there that new administrators should be aware of? Number one is if you are in an ACGME accredited program or an LCME accredited program, get a hold of those requirements, take a look at them, go through kind of red pen it or highlight it and just take note of things that you understand or don't understand. Those requirements govern what we do. So having an understanding of them will definitely help you. Number two, I would say AIM is an amazing resource. You can network with people, get on the listservs. They have specific listservs for different residency management systems, for example, community versus university setting hospitals, for example. So definitely hop on AIM, take a look around, see if there's any mentors that might be able to help you. And I would also say at the institutional level, maybe reach out to your GME office, get an idea of who does what in that GME office, understand who your DIO is, who your key players are. And going back to, you don't have to have the answer to every question, but you should know your resources. So these are all really great resources for you to reach out at any time when you do have a question. The concept of evaluation um, seems to come up a lot. Can you talk about the role of the administrator in both faculty and trainee evaluation? The administrator's role when it comes to evaluations is we are never evaluating anybody clinically. We're more just gathering the results of those evaluations. So it's very important that we send the evaluations at the right time, that we're monitoring what's coming back and also what's not coming back and making sure that the trainees are truly getting evaluated from all angles by students, by faculty, by peers. And we want to make sure that we have enough data that when it comes time for the CCC, Clinical Competency Committee meeting semi-annually, that there's enough information from many data points to actually give a true idea of how a trainee is progressing. So we're not actually evaluating people, but we need to monitor and make sure that the people in our program are being evaluated. It sounds like you get exposed to a lot of confidential information. Any comments on that for a new administrator? In a professional position, you are entrusted with a lot of information that could 
really help some people and could really damage some people. So just truly take that to heart and guard it the way that you should professionally treat it as though it were protected health information. You know, this is protected trainee information, if you will. And to piggyback on that, the administrator is in an interesting position because trainees trust us. So they might come to us and say, hey, I received this evaluation. I'm not sure how to go about handling it. Or, you know, somebody said this about me, but I don't want to put it in the evaluation. Or I saw somebody do this, but if I put it in the evaluation, they're going to know it was me. Or I got this evaluation and I know which faculty member said it, but I can't prove it. You know, you'll get these kind of things and they might come to you about those instances. And again, you just need to handle it in the most professional way possible. You can be friendly, but not their friend. And just use your professional judgment. There are times when some things may need to be escalated to the program director. And other times somebody might just say, hey, I I don't want to do anything about this. I just need to get it off my chest. Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. What kind of advice would you give a new administrator about guarding their free time and not overdoing it at work to the point where it presents stress for them and just an imbalance in their life? A lot of program administrators get very attached to their trainees and to their role. We do pretty important work. And a lot of people really tend to put their work before many things. I personally say there have been many years where I just gave up the month of June and I would just say, I don't have a June. June is dedicated to work. So I would say try to limit that as best that you can. Let somebody know when you need help. Use your resources and designate boundaries for yourself because if you do not have boundaries, you will burn out. Can you give us a feel or give the new administrator a feel for what recruitment is and the role of the administrator with recruitment? Recruitment will take up for residency about half of the year. We start to think about it in August. Eris opens up in September. We're interviewing October through January. February, our rank list is due. And then we have a two-week winter break to catch up on all of our emails. And then match is in March. So recruitment is a quite lengthy process. It's one of the most important things that we do as administrators. And I will be honest, program administrators from different programs will engage in the recruitment process in different ways, some more heavily than others. So you might be involved in screening. You may be involved in just purely administrative, just scheduling people. You might be designing the website. It depends on what your program asks of you. And again, make sure that you're developing boundaries around these things because it could be quite a stressful time. Let's talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a hot topic. There's a lot of sessions on it. As an administrator or as a new administrator, what should I know about that? In terms of recruitment, we all have an understanding of how important it is to have a diverse group of people contributing in any setting, and especially in medicine. People from different backgrounds will bring different education, and they're just going to have a better experience if you have people from all over rather than, you know, 10 people in a program who trained at the same place. Any comments about the importance of, you know, understanding visa, international trainees? Do you have anything to add there that you'd like to talk about? 
Absolutely. The program that I have recently worked in, I had a lot of international medical graduates and I just think they bring such value to a program. You're bringing in people from all over the world with diverse backgrounds, with diverse medical education. Some people have been practicing in other countries already and they add such depth and value to a program. The visa process itself can seem a little bit daunting, but there are so many support systems out there. The staff at the ECFMG are amazing. And honestly, I think it adds value to you as an administrator to understand this extra skill. You know how to do part of the immigration process. That's a big deal. So and there's two sides of it, well, many sides of it. One is definitely the value that they add to your program. And the other is the value that knowing the process will add to your resume. But then there's these relationships that you develop with trainees from all over the world who are just, they have so much to offer you. They have different experiences. They bring you different foods and you learn about all these different things. And it's just, it's just so exciting. I truly, truly value my relationships with all of my international medical graduates. And yeah, I think learning how to do the visa process has actually been quite enjoyable for me. Stephanie, could you address uh, the importance of, of, you know, working with the various technologies and, and especially your role in process improvement? Definitely. So we have so much technology that is just free and at our fingertips if we know how to use it. The Microsoft suite seems so basic, but it's so helpful. I mean, we have teams. It's basically your own e-library for your learners. You can use it for meetings. I mean, there's just so many things that you can do with such a simple free program. So just knowing simple things like that, like knowing your control C, control V, knowing your shortcuts is going to save you a lot of time. And just my goal with any program that I'm working in is just to bring as many improvements as I can. So I like to think of things as you should be able to put as little energy into something and get the most out of it. So for example, at both of the programs that I've worked in, I implemented digital accessible online calendar systems so that trainees are not carrying around a printed out Word document of a calendar in their lab coat pocket. I found that to be ridiculous. I would not want to do that. We have app capability. Let's do it. So, and I think that's really appreciated by people. Another thing that we have implemented is a digital suggestion box. I mean, people are not writing with pencil on a piece of paper and dropping it in a little box anymore. That's just not how people function. Just trying to think of solutions that can be accessible anywhere. Again, with this work from home movement, you know, a lot of medicine is even moving to telemedicine. So maybe some trainees are at home more often than maybe they were two years ago. So just trying to make things as accessible as possible and trying to think of things as how much energy am I expending on this and how much time? And is that energy and time worth it? What is the value that I'm getting out of that? And just trying to think of things that way has really helped me make a lot of innovation in the programs that I've worked in. You said earlier about the, the fact that what you're doing is very, very important work. Can you take a step back and get philosophical here in terms of, you know, the team you're working with and the fact that you're involved in the education of future physicians? And I think it was you maybe who said something like, well, they may be treating, you know, your family in the future. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophically? Yeah, I mean, that's the most rewarding part of this profession. 
I look at it as we are training people who will someday save lives. And that could be your life. That could be your mother's life. So when the job does get a little bit frustrating, that's what I turn back to and just think these are people who need our support so that they can go out into society and do the best things possible. And for me, when I go to graduations and I get to meet their families, my, my trainees' families and their children, and I just take a whole look at, oh my gosh, I remember when you first started and you didn't know your way around the halls and you know you were just so smart and we were so excited for you and now you did it. And you are ready to go out into the world or ready to go on to fellowship or ready to go on to subspecialty training. And it's just this pure amount of pride that you feel for having known these people. I know so many incredible doctors in this world. And it's it's just extremely rewarding. And it's very fulfilling. Great. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie. 